All right. Well, good morning. Hey, uh, so as we start out this morning, I want you to think of somebody in your life who taught you something valuable, maybe an instructor, maybe a teacher, uh, somebody that taught you some really important things. You would say, yeah, you know, that person really impacted my life in a positive way. Put, put the name of that person in your mind, okay? Somebody that, uh, that taught you something valuable. And now I want you to, to stand up, okay? Stand up. Don't be reluctant. Everybody, stand up. If you notice, we didn't do a greeter this morning. Now, I want you to find somebody, maybe in your row or right next to you or whatever. I want you to say, hey, good morning. It's great to see you here. And then I want you to share with them quickly who that person was and maybe one thing, one, one reason why that's the person that came to your mind. Go. All right. So, so, who said a Sunday school teacher? Raise your hand. Any Sunday school teachers? Lots. Who said a coach? Anybody? A coach? How about a, a teacher in your school, maybe? Who said a parent? Who said a grandparent? Yeah. Any other, any other a boss, maybe? Uh, um, a brother? How about a sibling? Did anybody have a... I, I, one of, a sibling, well, all my siblings would be on my list, but they're way down there below my dad, who's the top of my list. Uh, so a little over 10 years ago, our country was riveted to our TVs as we watched something that was called the Miracle on the Hudson. An airplane ingested two, uh, well, ingested birds and it killed both engines and the pilot was left with a split, really kind of second decision as to what he was going to do with that plane. Uh, it shut down both engines and he made a decision to land in a place that actually saved everyone's life that day. If he hadn't have decided to do what he did, Probably all of the people in that airplane, along with many others on the ground or in whatever building around New York City, uh, would have been killed. Now, air, commercial airline pilots go through hours and hours and hours of training. Uh, they're required to pass multiple written tests. They have to first get their private license, then their instrument rating, then their commercial rating, then there's more tests, more checks. Uh, then come the requirements of the hours that they have to be flying in that 
type of airplane before they can finally be hired by a commercial airline. A lot of commercial airline pilots spend, have either spent hours and hours and hours of training in the military, which was true of, uh, of Sully Sullenberger. Um, many of them, they'll fly cargo planes for hours and hours and hours until they get that time, and they can then finally uh, be approved to learn in the airplane that they're going to be flying actual people in. And there's uh, hundreds of hours, again, that go into that. There's, there's many hours in a, in a simulator, uh, which are more realistic today, sometimes it seems, than some of well, they're as realistic as flying in other planes. And so they, they run through all of these scenarios. And uh, I forgot one of the ratings that they have to have, which is a multi-engine rating, uh, which is really just how to fly a two-engine plane with one engine. Um, that's what the multi-engine uh, rating it trains you to do. Uh, every pilot trains for emergency situations. Uh, Sully's was a pretty extraordinary uh, landing a plane on the water and having everybody survive. Uh, but again, all the years of his flying uh, military planes and then his hours training and practicing up to that uh, uh, prepared him for the decisions that he had to make for that day. And, and actually gave him confidence after he made the decision to do what he was going to attempt to do. Uh, have you ever glanced into a cockpit as you got onto a, a, a commercial airliner to, to fly and you look in there and go, holy smokes, Look at all of those dials and instruments and switches and how do they even know what to do? And, and uh, yet they, they get in there and I, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's a whole lot easier for them than it would be for you or me. In fact, for you or me to get into one of those seats, it would be impossible, honestly. Uh, they know what to do. And honestly, it's not hard for them. Uh, all the hours and hours and hours of training. So now most of us in here uh, don't fly airplanes, but we fly our own lives. We pilot our lives, so to speak. And uh, mo many days of our lives seem somewhat routine. Uh, we take off in the morning, we fly through the day, uh, we land at the end of the day, we sleep soundly, restfully, and then we get up and we do it again. I mean, how hard could life be, right? It's basically routine. We live every day uh, is easy. Well, most people I know, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's not my life, Pastor Dave. Uh, most people I know uh, wouldn't describe their life as easy or routine. Uh, they'd use words like challenging or stressed or stretched. Maybe heavy is a word you would use to describe your life right now. Difficult, fast-paced, busy. That might be the first word out of your mouth when somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm just, I'm just really busy. Overwhelmed, disappointed, worrisome, tiring. Uh, you know, Matthew records Jesus' words saying some of the most life-giving words about the ease of life in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11 if you'd like. Uh, we're going to put it up on the screen this morning. Uh, we will be in another passage in, in Matthew. So uh, it'd be good to just open your Bibles up. Matthew chapter 11. This is what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This, this is a wonderful invitation, isn't it? I mean, to have Jesus say that, that we can come to him and that the rest for our souls will flood over us, our lives will get easy, and our burdens will immediately be lifted away. And if that is the case, then why, when I describe that our lives are easy and routine, do you say that is not my life? I mean, those of us in the room who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, this is what he offers us. And why does it seem so elusive? Why does it seem so difficult to live this way in our life at, at peace with contentment? Why does it seem so overwhelming? And there's a little phrase in there that we often overlook that's the key to this easy way as I refer to it in the title of the message this morning. Rest for my soul that Jesus offers. Look at verse 29. Do you see it? Of course, yeah, there's a 29 in there. Do you see the words that I'm referring to? It's learn from me. Learn from Jesus. The, the reason life can be incredibly heavy is because, honestly, we haven't learned yet. We haven't learned yet. We need an instructor. We need a life coach. And Jesus says, I am that one. I am the instructor. The New Testament, uh, uh, Jesus invites us to, to live our life connected to him. That's the yoke. And learn from him so that I do have rest for my soul. And that life is an adventure to live and a reality in which God is at work every day in my life. He, he wants me to live my life the way that he would live my life. Like an apprentice. Um, that's not a word that we often throw out in our world today, apprentice. The New Testament calls these apprentices of Jesus his disciples. And sometimes we use that word disciple, we think, well, that's a really high religious word. You know, well, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a, a disciple, but it's honestly a common word in the New Testament. The word Christian, which we often refer to ourselves as, is only found three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is found 269 times. It means a student. A learner, an apprentice, a practitioner, a disciple is someone who has decided to be with another person in order to be capable of doing what that person does. Some professions still use the word apprentice. I looked at some job openings online. There are plumbing apprentices, there are electrical apprentices, HVAC, graphic artist, lawn care apprentices. That seems a little carried away to me, but it's there. An apprentice is someone who, who is committed to learning the trade. And as they commit to that, they don't want to be an apprentice their entire life, right? If you have somebody who's going to be an electrical apprentice, they want to eventually become a journeyman. And eventually what? A master. A master electrician. Where they are able to one day do exactly what 
the person who they were learning under is able to do. So here's the question for you this morning. Do you consider yourself an apprentice of Jesus? Do you, do you consider, uh, is, is he your number one life coach? Is he your number one instructor? Because that's what he needs to be. If we are to learn from him and for his yoke to become ours, which is easy. That's why the book of Matthew has so much teaching in it. Jesus didn't come to merely issue us a ticket to the next life. Uh, he didn't come to start a watered-down spiritual self-help movement where we just add a little Jesus in here and there to spice up everything. Uh, when Jesus arrived, the good life, the, the lighter burden, the easy way opened up for anyone who would trust in him. But you see, not everyone did. Not everyone trusted in Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, if you would turn there with me, please, uh, Jesus issues the invitation to the person most scholars believe wrote the book of Matthew, Matthew himself. And in that culture, if there ever was a man who you would think would not be offered a place in God's kingdom, it would be Matthew. So look at Matthew chapter 9, and uh, I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the easy way starts with an invitation to follow Jesus. That's what Matthew got, was an invitation. Imagine Matthew's life with me, if you would. Day after day, he's sitting in a hot little tax collector's booth, uh, this toll booth was close to Jesus' hometown, so northern Palestine, the sticks. On a border between territories, and tax collectors were hated by everyone. Because Matthew could not only charge what the Romans required the people to pay, but Matthew could charge what the Romans required, the little extra to pay himself, and then whatever those Roman soldiers that were sitting behind his shoulder wanted also. And, and to make matters worse, worse, Matthew was a Jew. So you have a Jew working for the Roman government ripping people off. Very well-liked person? I think not. It was the ultimate betrayal of God and country to be a tax collector. Suddenly up walks this young rabbi. He leans over the counter and instead of forking out a few shekels to pay his tax, he looks at Peter and he says, follow me. Follow me. Matthew is not looking for this. Matthew is not out hunting Jesus down. 
Matthew is not praying for this, I presume. But Matthew gets up. And Jesus ends up at Matthew's house. And, and they're eating dinner together. And then a whole bunch of Matthew's cronies, all of his fellow tax collectors, and as the Pharisees refer to them, sinners, come and join him. And when the religious watchdogs challenge this practice, Jesus throws it back at them and says, who do you think needs the most help? Why do you think that I am here? Do the sick need help or do the healthy need help? Jesus says that he's the doctor who has come for the sick. And there are three uh, categories of help. Those that are sick and they know they're sick. Those that are well and know they're well. And those that are sick and don't know they're sick. And when you think about those three categories, who do you think is the most sick? Those that are sick but think they're well. And I think that's often true in our lives. We're sick, but we don't know it. There's something ailing us. There's, there's something in our life that we need healed from, but we're not necessarily in this moment in time sure of what that is. Wouldn't we want to know? If you have a cancer growing in your body, wouldn't you want to know today when, when it's small and can possibly be taken care of than in a month or six months or a year when it's grown and taken over your body and there's nothing that they can do? So the easy way starts with an invitation to follow Jesus. Hey, Matthew, follow me. And what does Matthew do? The easy way then continues with a decision to follow Jesus. Matthew gets up and he follows him. He responds immediately to Jesus' invitation because I think deep down inside, Matthew knows that he's sick. Matthew had probably listened to Jesus teach I mean, Jesus was attracting big crowds. Uh, I'm sure there was scuttlebutt about Jesus all over the, the country. He had the reputation of being a healer. He had the reputation of being an authoritative teacher. Who is this man? He doesn't teach like the normal, uh, our normal religious leaders. He, he's like, he has authority. He's speaking with authority in these things. And the location of this story in the book of Matthew, I think, is also significant. Matthew, he could have put this, this account of him coming to Christ anywhere in the book. And his decision to become an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, he put it in the middle of two full chapters of dozens of miraculous events. Why there? You know, when Matthew was putting together all of these stories about uh, the teachings of Jesus in his manuscript, he, he could have put it anywhere. It's, it's as if he is saying, following Jesus saved me from my dead-end life. I needed that healing. My life needed that healing. The word Matthew uses to describe that moment that he got up from his desk is arose. It's the same word that Matthew uses when Jesus arose from the dead. For Matthew, his decision to follow Jesus was a resurrection of sorts of his own life. 
And it started when he said yes to follow Jesus. Matthew had no idea where that would lead. He had no idea what was going to come in the future. He just knew that Jesus was offering him something far better than what he had going because he knew deep inside that he was sick and that he needed a doctor. A few months ago, my brother Dennis and his wife found themselves in the emergency room with with their daughter who had a collapsed lung. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but this was the fifth time that her lung had collapsed or one of her lungs had collapsed in the last few years. And over the years, she's had the same doctor, she's had the same surgeon. Now, she's had other ER doctors, she's had other ER nurses who were very helpful, who who took care of her in many of these times. But the doctor who had been treating her through the years was Dr. Mitchell. And they went all day into the evening until finally Dr. Mitchell shows up. My brother had gone home, so he wasn't there. But when Dr. Mitchell arrived, Dennis said there was this huge sense of peace that came over us. Uh, It seemed that as if a burden had been lifted because he was the expert. He was the one that knew. He knew April. He knew what she'd struggled with. He knew her condition. And when Dr. Mitchell showed up, (laughs) their burden became light. Maybe we really needed to hear that. I don't know. Their burden really became light because Dr. Mitchell knew the way. I just saw her last week at my dad's birthday party. She looks great. I I can't imagine. I I don't remember what they did. But it was sort of like, I remember getting the text message, pray for April, because this is sort of a last shot deal here that they're going to try today. And uh, it was good to see her. Uh, That's why Matthew arose to follow Jesus. He had this sense that here I am, I'm sick. He can heal my soul sickness. His love for money and status and power, Matthew's. His insecurity and fear that caused him to to honestly deny his own family heritage and go to work for the enemy. To experience forgiveness for that. To be able to hold hold his head high once again. I want that, don't you? I want to know that I've been healed. That there is a doctor that knows more about me than I know about me. And that is Jesus Christ. I, I think that had we been there and met Jesus personally, I think we probably would have liked his company. We would have admired his ability to navigate situations, to deal with people and who, who didn't know how to deal with him. Have you ever been in one of those situations where somebody says something really, it's, it's, it's really uncomfortable to another person in your presence, and you're just, just like, uh, I'd really just rather not be here. But then, but then that person handles that other person with such grace and, and wisdom that you just come away from it going, wow, I wish I could do that. That was amazing. That's, that's how I imagine Jesus being. I mean, we never get the sense that Jesus is just gutting it through. 
There's no sense of him gritting his teeth or carrying the load of humanity on his back. He, he walks through life with such grace and strength and joy and power and authority, living life like it was meant to be lived. It's why people today, consumed with jealousy, follow Jesus, learn from him, and one day wake up and realize the jealousy is gone. It's why when we fully surrender something in our life to Jesus, and we wonder if it's possible for that to be true of us, and a year or two down the road, we look back at what we were like, and we look at what we are now, and we go, wow, Jesus is powerful. Look what he did. It's why an anorexic young girl follows Jesus, learns from him, and one day realizes that she no longer struggles with food and diet and exercise. Whatever sickness it is for you personally, when we give that to him, when we surrender our life and begin following Jesus and learn from him, those things that were difficult in our life become easier. It's why so many of us gather in small groups every week. It's why millions and millions of Christ followers can sleep through the night surrounded by all kinds of life turbulence because we know deep down in our souls that the one who knows the most about life is Jesus and He is my Savior. And He promised He would never leave me nor forsake me. And I could take that to the bank every day of my life. No matter what is happening. The doctor is in the room. And he's promised that he will never leave the room. The kind of confidence, that kind of confidence and security and peace doesn't happen overnight. People change incredibly slow most of the time. We resist it. I mean, have you ever said, I can't believe I haven't learned this yet? How does this life transformation happen for us? Well, Dallas Willard was a professor at USC. He was an author, a spiritual guide to thousands, mostly through his speaking and his writing. I've never, I've never seen him face to face. He died a few years ago. But, but he had learned this easy way. Uh, for instance, uh, when he was dying of prostate cancer, he said this, I wonder how long it will be when I'm there, meaning heaven, the other side of this life, that I realize that I am there and not here because Jesus said that those who follow him won't even taste death. Let me, let me, let me read that again, just because it's, it's, again, this is a man saying this, but it, it is a, it's an interesting thought. I wonder how long it will be when I'm there that I realize that I'm there and not here because Jesus said that those who follow him won't even taste death. I mean, I want to know Jesus like Dallas Willard knew Jesus. In a number of his books, he teaches what he calls the golden triangle of spiritual transformation. Uh, and, and the reason he refers to it as golden is because it's as valuable as gold to an apprentice. Not because of the color of the triangle, because it's blue in my notes and I think it's going to be white up here. Um, but, but I want to show it to you. Uh, so the first 
the, the top of this, uh, this triangle is, access, is accessing the Holy Spirit. We need to access the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Matthew could physically be with Jesus. We can't. But Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live right inside of us and to live in our community when we gather together. Jesus said, I will send you one who will be your counselor. He will be with you. Romans 8.11 in the New Living Translation says it this way, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. And as I think about that, I think of that as the easy way. The easier way. The better way. The Holy Spirit is the all-powerful, creative, personal Spirit that waits for our invitation to Him to act on our life. We can always recognize His presence because He moves us toward what Jesus would be and do. When we inwardly experience the kind of love and peace and joy that Jesus knew, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. When, when somebody is talking to you about losing a loved one and, and they were very close to you and, and you say, I, I'm, just really, I'm just really at peace with this. I'm sad. It, it's, but, but I just have this, where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit in you. It's accessing the Holy Spirit. It's calling out to Him. Uh, as many of you know, my dad has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and that diagnosis came back in January, and the doctor said, go home and die. You're going to live a couple months, maybe. That was eight months ago, and we just celebrated my dad's 90th birthday. Now, to be honest, it, it was most likely his last birthday. But every month that we've had since that diagnosis has been a gift from God. And the only reason, and in fact, one of the doctors that he saw you know, six months ago said, I don't understand this. I don't understand what I'm seeing. Um, you have active cancer in your body. There's no reason why this should be, your results should be the way that they are. And my dad said, it's probably because of all the people that are praying for me. And I believe that that's why. And the doctor looked at him, looked at him and said, well, Tell him to keep praying. And we have been. And, and it's been, honestly, really, it's, it's been a great gift that God has given us as a family over the last eight months. <clears throat> now, we don't know what's going to happen, but my dad and our family, underneath the concern and our tears, the reality of his condition... You know, the cancer's moved into his liver. There's a sense that it's going to be okay. One day I will get a phone call that the man at the top of my list, okay, second on my list, took his last breath. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does internally. There are, there are also two external expressions of the Holy Spirit, and we've talked about them before. I just want to briefly mention them. 
the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, when I see people serving and and doing all sorts of things around here at the church, serving other people with joy and power and effectiveness, that's the gifts of the Spirit in play. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit, and that's a sure sign of transformed character. When our deepest attitudes and dispositions are those of Jesus, it is because we have learned to let the Spirit foster life in us. Thought maybe we were trying to live our life without... So the transformation, the the transformed life begins by accessing the Holy Spirit. Next, next in the triangle, we accept the events of our ordinary life as the environment where transformation happens. You see, when you pray for patience, which is a pretty scary prayer, you don't just, God just doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't just touch you and poof, you have patience. No, you then begin, your life then begins to be transformed In your everyday life, you begin to have reasons to be patient. Sometimes people separate their church and their spiritual life from the rest of us, from the rest of their life. But but the reality is that the primary place where we experience life with God is not in here, it's out there. Gathering for worship and community and teaching are very important, but of the 168 hours in a week that we have, we only spend a few here. The rest are out there. And we need to accept the circumstances of our everyday lives as the place of God's presence, as the place of God's blessing, the good life. And we need to answer the question, Do you see your life as a reality in which God is at work, or do you see your life as a series of problems to be solved? Let me say that again. Do you see your life as a reality in which God is at work, or when you get up in the morning, just a series of problems that need to be solved? It's something that I continue to learn, and maybe you do this already, but It's reframing my problems into opportunities. I mean, personally, I have a lot of problems. As a pastor, I get exposed to a lot of problems. Your problems, my family problems, our church's problems, community problems, our country's problems. I mean, we have a lot of problems, right? You too. The brother of Jesus who learned this from Jesus said this about problems. It's James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, and this is the message paraphrase, if you will. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely, Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Learn from me, as Jesus said. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. 
We can learn to see every event of our lives, every problem, every relationship, every challenge, conflict, event as an opportunity to experience the reality, the competence, and the faithfulness of God. Let's say you have financial problems. Or, or, is it, or is it an opportunity to see the Holy Spirit develop in you the spiritual fruit of self-control or generosity? How do we develop that posture? That way of experiencing the Holy Spirit in the challenges and problems of life? Well, how do you develop a good jump shot? Practice. It's practice. And that's the third side that is so often, I think, missing. But it's the part that we have the most control over. It's the learning. So let's commit to a training program to put on a new heart. I mean, how do pilots learn to fly airplanes? Do they just, I want to fly, and they take you up and throw you in the chair and behind there and just say, okay, have at it. No. Trust me. It's hours and hours of time with flight instructors and dealing with weather and, you know, honestly, years of training. They spend hours practicing every conceivable challenge, learning and learning, developing habits and routines so that when a problem arises, so when they're just about ready for that main landing gear to land on the runway and a gust of wind comes up and picks them up and lifts them in the air, they know what to do. Because if they don't, hold on to your hat. Sometimes to the point, and, and as I've done some retraining, that's what I see is it, it almost becomes automatic. Uh, Jerry and Zach went with me to Shadron here a, few, a, a couple months ago, and one of the things that, that Jerry said in observation of flying there and landing was how busy I was in the cockpit. And I thought, I, don't, I didn't seem that busy. Why? Because I've done it so many times, it's become automatic. Now, trust me, you know... Um, we use checklists as pilots. You know, because in God we trust, everything else we check. And in my own life, it's way more important to have God in the pilot seat than the co-pilot seat. So what is your spiritual fitness training program? Jesus had one, and He was God. You know, Jesus had one. He used two kinds of spiritual exercises or disciplines as we refer to them. Disengagement and engagement. He regularly disengaged. Jesus spent time alone. He got away. He needed that time with the Father. A pastor asked Dallas Willard what is the key to a healthy spiritual life. And without blinking, Dallas Willard said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's a big challenge in our day. I mean, it's our goal to see how many things we can cram into 
eight hours or five hours, and we look at people who sit on the deck drinking iced tea on Sunday afternoons or Saturday afternoons and go, well, is that guy lazy? Why isn't he up? Isn't he doing something? Well, he is, or she. It's a good something. Our, and we, we did a series on this. Our devices is the biggest hindrance, I think, to that because it's like we can't pry it. We can't leave it in another room. And it's just always there. Many well-meaning people aren't kind of... Wow, I don't know what I was going to say there. Many well-meaning people don't struggle in life because they're rushed. Uh, Rushing has worry, fear, and anger as close associates. Moms and dads, when you're the most short with your children, is it first thing in the morning when you're well-rested? Or is it when you get up in the morning and you're already frustrated and tired because you didn't sleep well that night and milk gets spilled at the table and you just lose it? I think, I think we would find ourselves more patient and more if we disengaged ourselves quiet before the Lord when we step away from our work for even just 20 minutes a day or a few hours or even for a day. That's so foreign to us. What do you mean actually take a day and do nothing? I mean, and I'm not talking about laying on the couch, although that can be healthy too. But just disengaging our mind from from life and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to just dwell in us for that day. And then at the end of that day, realize that the world actually survived without us being a part of it. My children are still alive. That God somehow managed all of that without me. (laughs) Sometimes our hurry is due to a lack of faith, not because we have so not because we have so much to do. Because we don't trust enough. The best way to clear up muddy water is to just let it settle and when we spend time in quiet reflective prayer we begin to pray for those we'll be with we may we may decide to have a difficult conversation and because our heart has been prepared by being in the presence of god we'll have more resolve and more calm and more patience when we have that conversation when we take note of and follow jesus in what he did When he was not out there engaged with people, we will find ourselves led and enabled to act the way Jesus acted when he was engaged with people. Disengage so that our hearts can be uh, filled and we can learn so that when we are engaged with people, there's actually power to do it. Because we've had new batteries put in through the Holy Spirit. I mean, I have never met a person who faces the challenges of life with a sense of wisdom and peace and a deep soul settledness who doesn't regularly practice spiritual discipline. 
And, and we've given you some tools, the, the daily readings, the journal questions. They're available on the back table back there. You can, you can watch the small group video videos off of our website. I mean, will, will you take 15 or 20 minutes for the next six weeks to just disengage and, and put yourself in a place where your instructor, Jesus Christ, can teach you and you can learn from Him. And I believe that if we will, and when we do, that that difficult, worrisome, stressed life that we're living, it's not going to become a cakewalk. But it is going to become easier. Because the expert, the doctor, is in the room with us. So I want to give us, as the worship team comes up, a moment of quiet. Just It's going to seem like forever, it's only going to be about a minute. And, and I want you to reflect on these three things. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit which one of these three things on this triangle needs your attention between now and the end of the series. Is it, is it accessing the Holy Spirit in the first place? Is it, is it surrendering your life to the call of Jesus? Is it recognizing that it's within the ordinary events of your life that, that, that you need to change your perspective and not see these things so much as problems and trouble as an opportunity to learn what God wants to teach you? Or is it that you've been lazy and you really haven't learned much from Jesus in the last year or so and and you need to institute a piece of a spiritual training program and put yourself in a, in a position to, lo- to, to learn. In these moments, let's ask the Holy Spirit which one needs our attention. Let's just take 60 seconds. with you to just kind of sit there and in the moment of just listening to the Holy Spirit and coming in time of worship and 
And I encourage you to just worship and raise your hands, remain seated, standing, whatever. Let's just make this as a time of worship in my God. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories. 